Thank you, Leslie and Paul and Doug and Joe. Good to have you here. Thanks for bringing up. I was just thinking I was in the back room, and uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have you open your Bibles here in just a moment. Um, and I'm assuming, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but hopefully everyone has a Bible with them today, right? <laughs> but I was just reading, and maybe you guys had mentioned it today, but 1.45 billion people do not have a Bible, the whole Bible, in their first language. Yeah. It's 20%. 20% of the world does not have a Bible, in their, the whole Bible, in their language. I doubt if any one of you here today has never had a Bible in its entirety in your home. What if I pulled out and I said, I'd like you to, oh, wait, we don't have the Bible with us today. I'm just going to just wing it. And you should leave. Because <laughs> any church that does not use the Bible exclusively in its doctrine, I don't need to go any further. Right? That is the key. That is the foundation to truth. Our world is very confused. It is very chaotic today because of the lack of truth. I could go on with that. I'm just I'm amazed. Even in our, in our state legislature, things that have transpired in the last few weeks over transgenderism. That's confusion at a max. But an evil proponent is when we start to infiltrate that into our little children and grandchildren. The lack of truth is totally and completely destroying this nation. But we have the Bible. We have the Bible. Let's proclaim it. With that, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 3, the beginning of the church, if you will. We've been studying it. And last week we looked at the, uh, God has a way of setting up illustrations. Uh, last week we spent the first number of verses, uh, verses 1 through 11, honestly, that speaks about Peter is going into the temple. And Laramie, maybe just throw that map up if you don't mind from last week again. Um, they're going to the temple for evening prayers. It'd be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is a gathering of those who'd be very devout, uh, very seasoned in the sense of religious folks. Um, this here, number 11, is the beautiful gate. That's where they would have entered into the temple on that day. And there was a man, a lame man. That, and I told you last week I couldn't find where his age was, but it's in chapter 4, verse 22 of Acts. And it says he was above 40 years old. For 40 years he was crippled. He had never walked, ever. Ever. And on that day, he's gathered there once again. People carried him in there and... Peter and John walked by him. There was a question from someone last week. Do you think Jesus actually walked by this man? There's a high likelihood. But it wasn't ready for God to impact the nation until this moment. Peter looked at him, it said, with a sense of direct focus. And then he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. This is to someone that's never stood up, let alone walked. See, God's miracles are complete and full. And Peter reached down to hold him. See, that's our job. We are to be there to assist in everything that God's doing. And we know what happened. He got up. He jumped up. He leaped up with joy. And he was praising God. He was healed and God got the praise. That's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? And now talk about set up an illustration. Peter's looking for a moment to preach. That'll work. <laughs> Here we have this man jumping and leaping through the entire temple area. And now they're gathered up under the Solomon's portico, which would be the, what was the remainder of the original temple. 
It was on the eastern wall. And that's where they were gathered because they would have to be on the outside of the Gentile courtyard to include everyone. By the way, that's how God's work is all about. It's including every single person that's living. On that particular evening, shall we say, God sets up the perfect illustration. And now let's read what Peter is going to preach, what he did preach. Uh, Chapter 3, we'll begin at verse 11. As the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired the murderer to be granted upon you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did this, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all of his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent you, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. You are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we're here because you've allowed it. We're gathered here to praise your name, to worship you. And Father, the moments we've already had in sharing, the unity that the church brings because of Jesus Christ being the head. Father, we would ask that you would be glorified, that Jesus' name would be exalted just as you did. Father, we'd also ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher this morning. We would be receiving and open to everything and all of the truth that you have for us. That relationally we will never have been closer than at the end of these moments that we're sharing with you. Father, we'll thank you for all that you're going to do. Those are are folks that are here today, Father, that have deep needs, things that probably can't even be uttered in public. But Father, you know them. You know their hearts better than they do. You know their needs before they do. Father, reach out with that touching hand of love that is so amazing that you would meet them right where they need you. Thank you now as we progress and we look to the word with anticipation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, 
Well, God's collected a crowd. He knows the perfect way to do it. He's healed a man that's been lame for 40 plus years. And he's not just a little bit lame now. He's fixed completely. It's a complete overhaul. He's been recreated, if you will, and he's jumping and leaping with joy. He's actually, it says in verse 11, he's clinging to, to the two disciples. And I'm, not, I'm sure they don't want him to go anywhere. This is illustration number one. This is classic example of what God can do. Why don't you just stay here between us? The people are gathering. There's a lot of people at this point of the, at this time uh, because it's the evening sacrifice. It's the evening prayer time. And now to see this one that had been there daily, it told us in chapter in the early part of chapter three, he's been there every day. People have hauled him in there and laid him where this would have been a very nice place to be able to get alms or to get cash. This was this would be a preferred place. Because it was right inside the beautiful gate. It was where most people would have went into the temple. What a great place to say alms, alms. There's a man now, if you asked him, would you rather have the cash or be healed? <laughs> He's going to go with the thing he would have never dreamed would have happened on that day. That's a lot of times how God works in our lives. Sometimes we ask for little things and really little, God wants to take us to a new level. Put us beyond and above and beyond what we can even comprehend, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Well, what is Peter going to say? With his example right before him, he's going to preach Jesus. That is exactly what we need to do today. Every single time that we have an audience to speak about spiritual things, just preach Jesus. Every time. How many times? Every time. Peter did it the first time. Again, now thinking about this, the church is only a few weeks old. It is truly brand new. Because Jesus has only ascended to heaven a very brief time before. He had been crucified. This is, very, this is the other thing. We're not in downtown Bozeman. We're not in Billings. We're not in Los Angeles. This message, the second message that Peter's going to give to bring men and women to Christ, is in the middle of the temple. And two weeks before, Jesus had risen into heaven. Forty days before that, he was hanging on a cross in Jerusalem that was right outside those gates. That's different, isn't it? I want you right there. I want the context to be so full that you can't miss how Peter's going to address this crowd. It's not just Jesus to somebody at the Napa store. Why, why there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with that. Wherever you reside, Jesus is in, is in vogue if you want to talk about truth. This is where Jesus was crucified two months before. If you would have done a poll, how many are for Jesus? Ah, he was kind of a blasphemer. He said things he really shouldn't have done. And the religious leaders didn't like him at all. You know, I think he got what he deserved. I'm afraid that the majority of that crowd right there would have said, that's who Jesus was to us. Today, I'm afraid if you would go downtown any of the towns I've mentioned, a good share of them wouldn't know who Jesus is. In America, in an USA, where we founded on the principles of God. Confusion is an all-time high. Where there is no truth, there is confusion. 
Romans chapter 1 talks about God turning over to a reprobate mind. I don't want that to happen. A reprobate mind is one that cannot think clearly. There seems to be a lot of that around. How does one get a reprobate mind? To knowingly resist truth. Is there some of that going on in our nation today? <laughs> it's at an alarming, alarming height. But Peter is going to address Jesus in several different names. That's what we want to look at briefly this morning. Is the names that he addresses this crowd of who Jesus is. There was a man that was actually at a conference in Washington, D.C. I can't remember his name. I just read of him this morning. I apologize for that. But he met, he ran into a man that was from the Muslim faith. And around his neck, he was representing from India 350 million people. And this particular man had a necklace that had 99 different beads on it. And he began to say to this man, which they expressed their beliefs, and he found out later that this man, that I can't remember his name, was a Christian. And he said, I have 99 beads, and for every one of those beads is the name, a name of Allah, and I know every one of them. Do you know the names of your God? So he said, I'll take that as a challenge. And he went home and studied, and he said, there are 208 names for Jesus Christ. And over 700 times in the New Testament alone, the name Jesus is there. Do you think there's a message? <laughs> Peter actually used several. We'll look at these names today. Jesus is one of those. But the context, the people are gathered. It's a lame man that has been healed. The crowd is there. How will Pete, now, this is a little bit off the cuff, isn't it? We see nothing planned. It wasn't like, uh, John, we've, we've got to go to the temple today because we're going to get a crowd, we're going to heal a guy, and then we're going to talk to him about Jesus. No, no, no. Verse 1 says they just went to the temple, just like they've done every other day, investigating and investing their lives in God. But God heals the man. And now we've got an audience. What's Peter going to do? Just like we should do every single time when we have someone that wants to listen, talk about Jesus. What's he going to say? Let's go to verse 11, chapter 3. As the lame man which was healed held, he's literally holding on to Peter and John, all of the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering, as I've just showed you on the, on the map and the wall. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Why is this, why is this miracle something that you can't even imagine? Our Old, our Old Testament scripture would speak of God working. But you, what did he correct them on? Let's go back, step back, just go back, maybe just a week or two. The first time they were gathered, what happened? The beginning of the church. It was the Feast of Pentecost. It was a morning like any other morning. Except something happened differently that day. Jesus had told them, just hang out in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And on that morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit, 120 people. Mary, Jesus' mother, was one of those 120. See, she needed Jesus just as much as anyone else does. She needed to be redeemed just like anybody else does. But she was one of the first 120. The Holy Spirit, with a flame of fire over every single one of them, it was completely baptized with the Holy Ghost. Every single one of them. 
And they began to speak in languages. <laughs> About the wonderful works of God in Gentile languages. Now, again, there's a map that we've had up there, and it, it canvasses the entire known region from Cappadocia, and I can name all of you, you'll find them in chapter 1. But never had the Jews, which were gathered the Feast of Pentecost, that literally were hearing in their language of where they lived in Gentile land, the wonderful works of God. In a language they understood that the one of the 120 was presenting and had no idea what they were saying. That, my friends, is tongues. Languages spoken that are understood by the other people. Who is glorified? God is. And that's a start, right? That's unbelievable. But why did Peter speak for that moment? He got up. He, there was something that had happened, and it was necessary for him to take a leading role with authority, saying, wait, 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 stop, ladies and gentlemen. These are not drunk, as you suppose. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. In fact, they're speaking languages of which are clearly understood. Well, a drunken state wouldn't help that. And then he went right into what? He preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. In fact, there's two points to both of these sermons. One is, initially, guilt. You're guilty. That works today, too. We are sinners. We're guilty. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. It's not like, oh, I can't say that there's one out there that's not a sinner. No, 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 folks. Every single person is a sinner. And then the second part of both of these sermons was grace. That's perfect, isn't it? Show them their need. Well, that's one of the things that's wrong in America is we have no need for a Savior. We have everything we need. Isn't that the message? You are who you are. Self lives, self reigns. Everything's in, we're, we're in charge. We don't need anything or anybody. Wrongo. We're in the temple here. If you were to ask, what do you need? These are devout, praying, sacrificing Jews. How would they have responded to you? Need. We don't need anything. <laughs> Peter, in a matter of moments, is about to explode that into not only do you need something, you've killed your Messiah. You delivered the deliverer to death. This is not going to go easy, right? The truth hurts at times. Are you okay with that? You better believe it. You can't get fixed without truth. Peter opens it up. What does he have to correct? What's the first thing he's going to do? What's the first thing he's going to do before he even preaches about Jesus? Let's set it up. If you would have walked in the beautiful gate, let's say that you were accompanying. You were just happened to be happenstance with John and Peter. Let's say you were right, just kind of rubbing shoulders, just moving through as you're... Now, obviously, the, I'm using this as the beautiful gate, but it's pretty minuscule. The beautiful gate, as we found through Josephus, the Jewish historian, it was 75 feet high, 60 feet wide, and it took 20 men to close it. So I'm, I'm doing the work in a very minor and miniature way, okay? But on this day, if the, if the beautiful gate was open, uh, our lame beggar would have been lying right here. And lying is the right word. As Peter and John would have went by, you would have been with them potentially. And something takes place. It says that Peter looked intently at this man. 
It was as such the Holy Spirit was guiding him to say, there's our illustration, guys. We're going to be able to talk about Jesus in just a moment. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's what he said, rise up. And he reaches down to pick him up. The man jumps up. He's leaping with joy. Now, if you were with, just with the crowd, just mingling through there, whoa, I know that guy. This is not a fake. This is... This is real. That's Bill from down there on my avenue C, house 148. Now, I made that up, but you get the idea. <laughs> and you've got to do it. In fact, you kind of want to just get, a, get out of the action just a little bit. But stop. This is what I want. This is how Peter started this immediately. Because now the man has been milling and going through. Now the whole crowd is gathered, and you've watched this happen. Who are you going to give the credit to? That Peter and John, those guys are smoking good. I mean, they, they did that. That's the first thing that Peter wants to get out of the way. No, 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 no. No, 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 it's not us. Not us at all. He goes on to begin. What a, what a great place to start. In the name of Jesus, rise up. But then he goes on to say, this is the real power behind this healing. Verse 12, verse 13, I'm sorry. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our father. Stop. That starts to resonate in this place. That may not do any good in Sharon at the Napa store. Start talking about the God of Abraham. The what of what? What are you talking about? But that'll sing really loud because you're in the temple of the Jews. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers. You think they're listening? You bet they're listening. The God of Abraham and of Isaac, of Jacob, and of the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus. Stop. That's a, that's a timeout. Oh, ho, ho. timeout Jesus. Jesus, that's the one I said two months before was hanging on the outside of this city. What's he going to say about Jesus? What's he going to say about Jesus? It says, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Boy, it didn't take him long to get to that, did it? He kind of sucked them all in with the God of Abraham and the God of fathers and all of that. And then all drops the hammer and says, he, God, glorified Jesus and you delivered him. You denied him. Turned him over to Pilate. And Pilate was determined to let him go. Ouch. Now, when the God of Abraham glorified Jesus, that would have been a big pill to swallow. What does the word Jesus mean to you? Now, to them, it was not. Well, in fact, if you, did you have any Jewish friends that don't know the Messiah? Why don't you just ring the, just throw the Jesus word out there sometime. See how they catch that one. Woo, they'll step back from that one. It would have happened very much that way as well. What does Jesus mean to you? What does Jesus mean to us? The first time that you saw or heard of Jesus, what did it mean? Let's think, think of Joseph for a moment. That's a ticklish situation. He's got a young bride. 
They're not married technically, but the engagement process is so, the betrothal period is so intense, it's just as if you're married. Joseph's engaged one, Mary, has been gone for several months to see her aunt, Elizabeth. And of course, cell phones weren't something back then, and wasn't a lot of texting back then. In fact, there probably weren't even any letters written back then. So very little communication. And all of a sudden, uh, you know that Mary's going to be back in town because that's the assumed time, and here we go, and you see her for the first time, and you say, Mary, you're so, you're so large. Slip into Joseph's boots for a second, guys. Mary, whoa, 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 what is going on? And then she pulls that story. It's, it, what? She says this, Joseph, honey, I was visited by an angel. And he said, the spirit will come over you and you will become pregnant with the Messiah. <laughs> Joseph, I could have believed anything. <laughs> I mean, really, seriously, guys, when's the last time that happened? It never did. It never did. <laughs> and it says that Joseph privately, or in that, he, he was dreaming, right? He was, he was trying to figure out, how am I going to put her away quietly? Because that's, he's a just man. That's the, the words described for him. He doesn't want anything to happen to her, but he, this, this isn't going to work out. Uh, the Holy Spirit, really, Mary. <laughs> I'm sure there was a little bit of, and you, you can tell he's a very kind, very generous man. He's, he's, he's everything that you think he is. He's humble, quiet, everything. And he's going to put her away privately. But that angel came to visit him. Did you notice the angel could have come before he saw Mary? In other words, like prepare him? Joseph. Hey, old buddy, old pal, you're about to see your engaged dear one called Mary. And you're going to be surprised. And that's what this call is about. You need to know that she is the one from all of the ages that God has selected to bear the Son of God. That would have been helpful earlier, wouldn't have it? <laughs> Didn't work that way. But that angel in Matthew chapter 1, let's find out what he told Joseph. Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found the child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. I mean, you talk about turmoil in Joseph's mind, it would have been pretty crazy. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she, will, she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. He will save his people from their sin. Now, Jesus comes from a Hebrew word in the Old Testament of Joshua. Salvation is of the Lord, or the Lord saves. Now, think of Joshua for a moment, which was a type of Christ. 
He was, he was an amazing guy. Think of that. How would you like have woke up the morning after God had taken Moses and you were second in command and all of a sudden you are going to lead this right? They're so fun to lead, aren't they, the Israelites? They're a fun group to have around. <laughs> run out of food, they're in your face. You run out of water in your face. If it's cold, it's too... Yeah, you, you get it, right? Why did you take us out? We could be back in Egypt enjoying slavery and having good stuff to eat, right? And all of a sudden, the next day after Moses is gone, Joshua is fully and completely the leader that God has chosen to go forward. A little bit overwhelming, I'm sure. In fact, Joshua chapter 1, that'd be a good one for you to read this afternoon. Joshua, talk about encouraging Joshua. It's an amazing chapter. It's for us as well. But Joshua did a great job. He really did. What would we say about Joshua? Did he save his people? Why not? He wasn't qualified. What did he do? He really guided the people to serving God, didn't he? Sometimes more successful than others. But he never saved them. This Jesus, the New Testament version of the word Joshua, he came to deliver the people. Now think of the paradoxes that Peter's using on these, on these terms of Jesus. Uh, the first one, think of Jesus, then we could call him the deliverer, could we not? He's delivering his people back to God. They got astray from sin, just like every single person that's ever lived since Adam and Eve. Every single person. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin came upon all men, and death, on all, and, and death came upon all that have sinned. I mean, it's it, every single one. He's the deliverer. But look what, how he says this in, in Acts chapter 3. It says, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, and the God of our fathers, which hath glorified his son Jesus... The deliverer, you delivered up to be crucified. So they delivered the deliverer to be executed. Well, there's a lot of things going on in their minds right now, isn't there? Wow. What are they going to do? God glorified them. They denied him. They delivered him to be crucified. It goes on in verse 14. But you denied the Holy One. The Holy One and the just desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Oh, my goodness. The Holy One. Let's go back to Luke chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 33. Sometimes it mar we marvel at how much people don't know, but it's amazing how much the enemy, Satan and his demons, do know. Let's go to Luke chapter 4 and verse 33 after just reading that Peter is espousing Jesus as the Holy One, a second name. In Luke chapter 4, verse 33, it says this. In the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. You don't think Satan and the demons know who they're messing with? You better believe it. The Holy One, as Peter describes, Acts chapter 3, the Holy One. Think about this for a trade. The Holy One, the one that's never sinned, that's who Jesus is. 
He's the one that's saving us. He's the one that delivered us from sin's grip. That's what he's speaking to these Israelites. Not only did they want him crucified, the deliverer, the holy one, the righteous one, they traded him. Because Pilate saw through their little scheme and he saw that the, hier the hierarchy just wanted Jesus out of the way because he didn't fulfill their desires. So he said, well, I've got Barabbas. Who would you rather have, Jesus or Barabbas? The holy one, the righteous one, was traded for a murderer. <laughs> wow. Do you see what Peter just said? You have delivered the holy son of God and you let the murderer live. You've killed your Messiah. I don't even know how to describe that, honestly. That's complete rejection. Pure and simple. He goes on in verse 15, and killed the prince of life. <laughs> there again, you see the paradox, the oxymoron, the prince of life, the beginner, the incubator of life itself. In fact, you go to John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he literally was life. They killed the prince of life. Do you see their conscience starting to be very guilty? The Holy Spirit is working big time. Big time. God's Son, Jesus, the Holy One, the just one. That's a legal term. In other words, he's perfect in every way. And Barabbas was guilty in every way. I'm, I'm thinking of that. I, 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 wish I, I wish I had a picture of, of either one and one being completely righteous, Jesus, and Barabbas, which I don't know however you want to coat a murderer, a criminal, an evil, unjust person, uh, whatever that, just put it in your mind. And literally these people that Peter's addressing in the temple have just done the ultimate trade of all times and executed the Holy One and saved Barabbas. What's gone wrong? Where did they go wrong? You killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Ah, can you, can you feel the victory in that? Man's final job was throwing Jesus' body. I, I should be more careful with that because Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did not just throw. They, they very meticulously prepared his body for burial. But the crowd left him hanging on a cross. He was quickly removed and then was placed into the tomb. That's, land, that's man's last work. He's gone forever. If you would have even asked the disciples, they're starting to lock doors up. They're starting to walk away from, they're scared to death. Because if they've killed Jesus, uh, we're probably the next. Oh, wouldn't you think so? Looks bad. But God. <laughs> I like the but gods. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about we're dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, right? Thank you for the but gods. 
raised him from the dead. Just methodically, just matter-of-factly, just poof, he's raised from the dead. The power in that is amazing. And I, I, I say it probably too often, but I mean it every time I say it. If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, I would not be here with you today. There would be no reason for me to tell you anything because I would have no message that would have any value. Because on it rests everything. Because God claimed it would happen in the Old Testament, it had to be fulfilled. And if it hadn't, we're losers. If Jesus is still in the grave, we lost. We'd be no different than Muhammad, Buddha. Name them all. Name all of those, those cultic leaders that have grabbed people and sucked them in, deceived them through chaos and confusion. I'm glad the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, especially in the day in which we find ourselves living today. There are so many confused in our world that need Jesus. Jesus has a way of straightening all of those thought processes out. We've got a group of men and women right now that are gathered in the temple that would have just moments before felt they were totally okay. I, in fact, they might have even given some cash to our lame guy earlier in the day. They felt good about themselves. They probably put some in the offering. Probably said some things, promises to God. Said some nice things to their wives. It's good. They killed the Messiah. <laughs> and it's meant to be a crushing blow. Peter is mincing no words here. This is spot on where it needs to be. If you don't get it right here, there's no future of life. He is laying it out. Verse 16, his name through faith in his, I'm sorry, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. Stop for a moment. How many times have you heard that someone was not healed because the person that was to be healed did not have enough faith? That's usually the excuse that's used. Okay? Now, the gift of healing, the apostolic healing ceased when the apostles left the earth. This is all to give the sense of fulfilling credence and validity to the beginning of the church. The apostles were the ones that healed. That's what needed to happen. That's how God does it in a new dispensation. Does God do healing today? He most certainly does and can. But not at the will of men or women. It's at his will. It was just like that day. How much faith did that man that was lame laying there at the beautiful gate, how much faith did he have? I'm going to go ahead and say zero. Do you know why? He was never asked to exhibit any faith, first of all. Secondarily, he was in the temple, and he was supposed to have trusted in Jesus of Nazareth, which two weeks, I'm sorry, two months before was crucified outside the walls. That guy? Are you mocking me? Who had the faith? Peter and John. It was their faith in Jesus. And faith is only as strong or valid as in the object in which it's placed. They could have had faith in themselves, and guess what would have happened? Absolutely nothing. Their faith was in Jesus. That's what they're saying right now. Their faith literally is the reason Jesus Christ, the power, he's the power behind it. That's how he was raised from a lame man into a perfectly well and recreated man. 
you're seeing him, you know him. Yes, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Jesus, that name, the Holy One, that name, God's Son, the Just One, the Prince of Life, the one you killed, the deliverer that you delivered to death. He's the one. And then he says in verse 17, And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did your rulers. It's like opening a crack. It would be like just opening the door just a little tiny bit. Because he has you nailed to the wall. How would you slither out of this one? You're guilty as sin for delivering the Messiah to the Romans to crucify. But he said you did it out of ignorance. What did Jesus say as he's hanging on the cross? Let's take a look at that. Seems appropriate. Luke chapter 23. Turn there quickly. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And let's take a look at verse 34. 2334. And we should back up for just a moment. Just a couple of verses. There were also two, verse 32, two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Two other criminals, if you will. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, where they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the other. He's crucified. He's crucified. He then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're in the crucifixion stance... Our position, I'm not sure that would be one of the first things that I would say is forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I don't think I could do that. I wouldn't be thinking about it personally. And yet Jesus Christ, the deliverer, the one that has come to save his people from their sins, in the crucified position and posture is able to say forgive them for they know not what they do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. <clears throat> um, that is not... What did I do wrong? A second. Sorry, I think I got the wrong verse. I hate it when that happens to me. Is it verse 8? Um, um, that one we're going to have to set on the side. That is not the verse I was interested in for this particular thing. But there's something here. If you think back to Remember when in Old Testament, you write this down in your notes, Numbers chapter 35. Let's say that there was a neighbor and he accidentally killed a neighbor. Something happened, right? No, no intention, no mal malice, nothing of that nature. Um, however, the family of the deceased would probably not care. They're ticked off. And in some way, rightfully so. But there was a city of refuge that was developed. And that murder, that, that uh, what we would call the charge of murder, was really not looked at that. It was saw as manslaughter. 
You know, there's a plate of grace, honestly. If that one that accidentally would have killed his neighbor, if he got to the city of refuge, he was safe there. Until what? Until the high priest died. Think of that for a moment. What Peter has just done is he said, you guys are guilty of murder. But you did it out of ignorance. And he's opening the door of grace. Literally opening the door of grace. What are you going to do with what I've told you about the truth right now? The truth is exactly as I've stated it. You did kill your Messiah. You did kill the Son of God. You did kill the Holy One. You did trade for Barabbas the murderer. But you did it out of not knowing. You did it out of ignorance. But you're still guilty. See, the city of refuge was a city of grace. It was opening the gate to allow someone literally to have the ability to be safe as long as the high priest lived. How long is our high priest going to live? Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he is forever. Our salvation is complete in him. Now, he does go on to say there's something they need to do. There's two things he asks them to do. You've done it out of ignorance. Now, by the way, conviction, guilt can come through a number of different ways. One is knowledge. That's what he's just done right here, isn't it? He's unfolded for us the truth. So those people now, they have the truth. No longer can they say, we didn't know what we did. That's why the Bible is so important for us. That's why I appreciate so much what Wycliffe is doing. Because it's the Bible that unpacks the truth to be able to restore the sense of right and wrong so that people do not have to not know what is truth. Thereby, there is no excuse when the Bible is clearly and meticulously brought to life. He says to repent. We're gonna, and we're going we're gonna to continue next week in the conclusion of this. But there's something here that it's not just, just believe there's a Jesus. Right? The devils, they do that. They, they know who he is. I showed you, they even consider him to be the Holy One. They know exactly who he is. But what are you going to do when you've, even though it's in ignorance, even though you don't know, just like the Gentiles in Romans, it talks about that they didn't even have the law, and guess what? They're going to die too. That's the facts. That's what sin brings. That's what it does. They're responsible for the violations. Even though it was in ignorance, what are they going to do? He says... Verse four, let's go to verse, let's read verse 17 and 18 together because just as there's sovereignty in the sense of man's responsibility tied into this. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it just as your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he, also, he hath so fulfilled. Everything that God said would happen, even though it's wrong, even though all of it is off the wall, even though it's so far out of bounds. God said it would happen, and just as he said it would, it did. At the hands of those that ignorantly would have killed their Savior. But now you have a choice. Men and women, you have a choice to make. I've laid out the facts. I've laid out the truth. You've killed your Messiah. Repent and be converted. Talk to me about repentance. What does repentance say? What does repentance mean? Is it to feel sorry about something? I feel sorry about it. To turn around, right? To think of it exactly the same way that God sees it. 
That's what I want to know. As a, as a believer in Christ, I want to know what God thinks about everything. Because if I know what he thinks about it, that's what I should think about. In fact, there's a young Sunday school girl. She said, um, repentance is feeling sorry enough to turn around and do exactly what we should do when God tells us to do it. That's pretty good. And be converted. As you, run, as you turn from sin, you must turn on to Jesus Christ. It's a twofold thing. Now, how many did that? If we go to chapter 4, we'll find in verse 4 that literally the church has grown over the last couple of weeks. Man, it is on the cruise. Can you imagine this little body? We don't, we don't have 120, but let's say we did. Okay, And in the morning of the Feast of the Pentecost, 120 of us were gathered here. And the Holy Spirit not only visited us, but we are permanently indwelled now in the, that little flame of fire that someone from the outside could see. And every one of you could speak in a language that was understood by someone that had come into the Feast of Pentecost. That would be different. And Peter gets up and preaches. 3,000 are added. Now, we'd have to probably do a little bit of a build on here or meet in a lot of different homes, right? Or what they did is they met daily in the temple. Can you imagine the chaos and confusion that would have probably been? They're meeting in the Gentile courtyard, no doubt. They couldn't have possibly went inside with a mixed gathering. They were in the place that Jesus was hated. Where is Peter just going to add on to the 3,000, which I'll just share it with you. Another 2,000 got saved in that building right there. Right there in that building. In that building. Now it's at 5,000. And you don't think God can save America? You don't think that people can get saved in Sheridan and Twin Bridges and Butte and you name it or wherever you're from? If you can take and get 2,000 in the temple on that day, two months before he was crucified, then you doubt the power of God. He's just as strong as he's ever been. He revealed, just as they've always done, is they preach Jesus and they preach grace. Repent and could be converted. 2,000 of them that day took that challenge. Boy, do we need that message today in America. From the halls of Helena to Washington, D.C., to the state capitol, to the county courthouse, from homes to churches. There are people in churches today that don't even know who Jesus is. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe unto them that say evil is good and good is evil. That's what's happening today because we need more Jesus. Peter's message would be seen as being too, too what? Too, fill it in. Too harsh. Yeah. It was too harsh. You can't get people. No, no, that's what it is, folks. Jesus needs to be preached as being the holy one, the righteous one. And you and me are sinners. And there's nothing we can do about it. Repent and be converted. Now, there's five reasons we're going to look at next week that there's reasons to be converted. And it's amazing how Peter would have literally been called for a nation to come to Jesus on that day. They could have had the kingdom age right then if they, as a nation would have returned. But that's for next week. That's for next week. 
Isn't this fun to watch the church? This is history. This is actually historical events that took place. This is, here we are. Now think about it. Think about it. This is what happened. And if you look at the churches in Revelation, I'm not going to start preaching again. But in, in, in Revelation, <laughs> and you're laughing because I've done it before. Revelations chapter 2 and, verse, and chapter 3, you know what it's about? It's the churches, right? And it's, it's actually literally get to the church of Laodicea. And what is it? Oh, it's terrible. It's worse, than, it's worse than being hot or cold. Jesus literally said, I wish you were one or the other so I could do what to do with you. You're somewhere just floating around this. Ah! Who likes warm water? Who likes warm coffee? Who likes warm anything, right? Ah! But you know what? That's kind of what our church has become. And I'm not saying just this church. I'm talking the church in America. We need to be on fire for Jesus Christ. We need to go out and preach Jesus to every man, woman, and child. Lift him up. Show him for who he is. He's the savior of the world. He's the deliverer of those that have sinned. And, and you say, well, I can't. I'm, I, if, if God can sell it in the temple, his message is as powerful as anywhere it could be. You know the hardest place to sell it is in some churches today. Isn't that terrible? Why do you think he started right there? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. On that day, a twisted mind, a distorted mind, someone that didn't even know the difference between a blasphemer and the Messiah. Think of that now. They saw Jesus as the blasphemer and he was their Messiah. That's twisted. That's messed up. But when you lay it out and you preach Jesus, you make Jesus number one, you make him the Savior, a decision will be made, but nonetheless. You talk about straightening out minds, you talk about straightening out a country, when individuals are saved, when individuals come to Jesus Christ personally, individually, nations are changed. And don't discount what God can do in our country today. Not for a second. But we have to be everything that God wants us to be. We can't check out early. We got to get in the battle. We got to get in the war. We got to be involved. We got to be excited about what Jesus can do. Are you? Let's pray. Father God, the battle is in fact yours, and we are your servants. We are engaged in a war. Uh, make no mistake about it. The enemy is, he is on fire right now. He knows his time is short. Praise God for the word, Father, for the word of God will never be extinguished. It will never be destroyed. Thank you for the work that's been that has been done in regards to translation. That today someone is reading the Bible in a language that yesterday they didn't have. Father, to you be the glory. Thank you for raising up Jesus in Peter's sermon. Thank you for P for Jesus being everything we need. We don't need Jesus plus anything. The scriptures alone, by faith alone in Christ alone, through grace alone, to give glory to you alone. Father, we lift up your name, thanking you for all that you've accomplished. In our life's journey, Father, 
all of these that are gathered here this morning, their walk, their individual life path will be very different from anyone else. But Father, you have a plan for them. They are here for such a time as this. Move them along at just the right pace and the right place to impact the world that you want to see saved. Father, we rest at your feet, humbly bowing, looking for you, our guide, our confidant, our Savior, and our strength. Praising you, in Jesus' name, amen.